my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And by all NBC stations, a hotline bulletin in 10 seconds. Were fired as President Kennedy's motorcade passed through downtown Dallas. The crowd screamed and lay down on the grass as the motorcade went by. It was not known if the shots were aimed at the president. Repeat, it is not known if the shots were aimed at the president. Here is a flash from the Associated Press, Dateline Dallas. Two priests who were with President Kennedy say he is dead. White House Press Secretary. Malcolm Kildup has just announced that President Kennedy died at approximately 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. He died, gunshot wound in the brain. After being shot at. After being shot. By an unknown assailant. By an unknown assailant. During a motorcade drive through downtown Dallas. During a motorcade drive through downtown Dallas. We have suffered a loss that cannot be weighed. I know that the world shares the sorrow that Mrs. Kennedy and her family bear. Hello and welcome, Truth Seekers, to another riveting episode of Conspiracy Chronicles Unveiling the Truth. I'm your host, Gyorkam Yuxa, and today... We're diving deep into the enigma that has captivated the world for decades. As you may have guessed from our intro, uh, we're, today we're going to be talking about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. On that fateful day, November 22, 1963, the course of history was altered, and the ripples of that event are still felt today. The official story is that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, firing the shots that took the life of the 35th President of the United States. But as we'll uncover in this episode, the JFK assassination is a maze of theories, speculations, and secrets that continue to baffle and intrigue researchers and conspiracy enthusiasts alike. Was there a second gunman on the grassy knoll? Was there shadow government agencies involved? Did the CIA or the Mafia have a hand in this tragedy? Or was it a complex web of elements that remains hidden to this day? Together, we'll explore these questions and more, peeling back the layers of this enduring mystery. Prepare to embark on a journey through time, uncovering evidence and examining the different perspectives that have emerged over the years. So fasten your seatbelts, conspiracy enthusiasts. It's time to delve into the heart of one of the most iconic moments in history. This is Conspiracy Chronicles, Unveiling the Truth. Several shots were fired as President Kennedy's motorcade passed through downtown Dallas. The crowd screamed and lay down on the grass as the motorcade went by. It was not known if the shots were aimed at the president. Repeat, it is not known if the shots were aimed at the president. On the fateful day of November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. President Kennedy, along with his wife Jacqueline Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson, and Texas Governor John Connolly, was in Dallas for a political visit. 
The day started with a motorcade through the city, with the president and first lady in an open-top limousine. The motorcade passed through Daly Plaza, a public square in downtown Dallas. At approximately 12.30 p.m., crowds of onlookers lined the streets to catch a glimpse of the president. As the motorcade was passing through Daly Plaza, shots rang out. President Kennedy was struck by two bullets, one in the upper back and one in the head. Governor Connolly, who was seated in front of the president, was also hit. The shots created chaos and panic. The presidential limousine sped to Parkland Memorial Hospital, where President Kennedy was pronounced dead about 30 minutes after the shooting. Lee Harvey Oswald, who had been working at the Texas School Book Depository overlooking Daly Plaza, was arrested shortly after the assassination. He was initially charged with the murder of Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett, and later with the assassination of President Kennedy. While in police custody, Oswald was fatally shot by Jack Ruby, a nightclub owner, on November 24, 1963, before he could stand trial. The Warren Commission, led by Chief Justice Earl Warren, was established to investigate the assassination. It concluded in its 1964 report that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in assassinating President Kennedy from the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. Despite the official findings, the assassination of President Kennedy has been the subject of numerous conspiracy theories. Some theorists suggest that there may have been a second gunman, or that Oswald had accomplices, or there was a broader conspiracy involving government agencies, such as the Mafia or other groups. While the official investigation led by the Warren Commission concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, there are several theories that attempt to provide motives for why someone might want to assassinate JFK. One of the first ones is political ideology. Lee Harvey Oswald was a self-proclaimed Marxist and somehow suggested that his ideological beliefs led him to assassinate Kennedy. However, it's important to note that Oswald's motivations remain a subject of debate, and his connections to political groups, if any, are not entirely clear. Next, we have the Cuban connections. The early 1960s were marked by the height of the Cold War and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some theorists suggest that individuals or groups opposed to Kennedy's handling of the Cuban situation may have been involved in the assassination. Then we have anti-civil rights sentiment. Now, Kennedy was a strong supporter of the civil rights movement, which faced significant opposition and resistance from some segments of the American society. It's been suggested that individuals with racist or segregationist beliefs may have been motivated to assassinate him. Up next is the alleged ties to organized crime. Some conspiracy theorists propose that Kennedy's administration may have crossed paths with the Mafia. It is claimed that his brother, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, was involved in cracking down on organized crime, potentially leading to a motive for mob involvement. Then we have foreign interests. There are theories that suggest foreign governments, such as the Soviet Union or Cuba, may have had motive to eliminate Kennedy. These theories are often linked to the Cold War and geopolitical tensions of the era. Lastly, we have national security concerns. 
Now, some believe that powerful elements within the U.S. government or intelligence agencies had concerns about Kennedy's policies, especially related to the CIA and the military-industrial complex, and that they may have been involved in the assassination. Let's take a quick listen to one of the most famous films made on this topic. It was released in 1991, titled JFK. This soundbite depicts Garrison's reconstruction of the shooting of that day using the Zapruder film in court. Why is this snippet important? Well, it outlines all of the conspiracy theories in one three-minute scene. So what really happened that day? Let's just for a moment speculate, shall we? We have the epileptic seizure around 12.15 p.m. distracting the police, making it easier for the shooters to move into their places. The epileptic later vanished, never checking into the hospital. The A-team gets on the sixth floor of the depository. Now, they were refurbishing the floors in the depository that week, which allowed unknown workmen in and out of the building. They moved quickly into position, just minutes before the shooting. The second spotter on the radio talking to the other two teams has the best overall view, the guard spot. B-team, one rifleman and one spotter with the headset and access to the building moves into the low floor of the Daltex building. The third team, the C-team moves in behind the picket fence above the grassy knoll where the shooter and the spotter are first seen by the late Lee Bowers in the watchtower of the rail yard. They have the best position of all. Kennedy is close and on a flat, low trajectory. Part of this team is a coordinator who's flashed security credentials at several people chasing them out of the parking lot area. Probably two to three more men are down in the crowd on L. 10 to 12 men, three teams, three shooters. The triangulation of fire Clay Shaw and David Ferry discussed two months before. They've walked the plaza. They know every inch. They've calibrated their sights. They've practiced on moving targets. They're ready. Kennedy's motor team makes a turn from Maine onto Houston. It's gonna be a turkey shoot. They don't shoot him coming up Houston, which is the easiest shot for a single shooter in the book depository. They wait. They wait till he gets to the killing zone between three rifles. Kennedy makes the final turn from Houston onto Elm slowing down to some 11 miles an hour. The shooters across Dealey Plaza tighten, taking their aim, waiting for the radio to say, green, green, or aboard, aboard. The first shot rings out, sounding like a backfire, it misses the car completely. Frame 161, Kennedy stops waving as he hears something. Connie's head turns slightly to the right. Frame 193, the second shot hits Kennedy in the throat from the front. Frame 225, the president emerging from behind the road sign. You can see that he's obviously been hit, raising his arms to his throat. The third shot, frame 232, hits Kennedy in the back, pulling him downward and forward. Connie, you will notice, shows no signs at all of being hit. He is visibly holding his Stetson, which is impossible if his wrist has been shattered. Conley is turning here now, frame 238, the fourth shot. It misses Kennedy and takes Conley in the back. This is the shot that proves there were two rifles. 
Donnelly yells out, my God, they're going to kill us all. Somewhere around this time now, another shot that misses the car completely strikes James Craig down by the underpass. The car breaks. The sixth and fatal shot, frame 313, takes Kennedy in the head from the front. This is the key shot. The president going back and to his left. Shot from the front and right. Totally inconsistent with the shot from the depository. Again, back to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. One of the most enduring conspiracy theories suggests that there were multiple gunmen involved in the assassination. Some witnesses claim to have heard shots coming from the grassy knoll, a small hill located to the front right of the presidential motorcade. This theory suggests that Lee Harvey Oswald may not have acted alone and that there was a second shooter on the knoll. The Warren Commission's official report concluded that there was no evidence of a second shooter. The Zapruder film, a 26.6 second home movie captured by Abraham Zapruder, is one of the most famous and crucial pieces of visual evidence regarding the JFK assassination. It does not definitively confirm or debunk the grassy knoll theory, but it has been extensively analyzed and interpreted in relation to this. The Zapruder film captured the entire sequence of the assassination, including the moments when the gunshots were fired. Kennedy is seen reacting to the first shot by clutching his throat. Then he is struck by a fatal shot to the head. Some theorists argue that the backward movement of Kennedy's head at the moment of the headshot suggests that the shot may have come from the front right, the direction of the grassy knoll, as opposed to the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository, from where Lee Harvey Oswald was alleged to have fired. The film also shows the immediate reaction of bystanders. Some witnesses in Daly Plaza claim to have heard shots from the grassy knoll area, and their reactions are sometimes cited as evidence that there may have been a second gunman. The Zapruder film, while capturing the chaos and tragedy of the moment, does not provide clear visual evidence of a second gunman on the grassy knoll. It is often used to argue both for and against the grassy knoll theory. Now, some eyewitnesses claim to have seen smoke or heard shots coming from the grassy knoll area. Notable witnesses such as Abraham Zapruder, whose famous film captured the assassination, and bystander Gene Hill reported seeing or hearing something unusual in that vicinity. Critics of the official account argue that the trajectory of the bullets in the Kennedy assassination, particularly the magic bullet theory, which we will get into a little later, doesn't doesn't align with the wounds and damage observed. They contend that the shots must have come from multiple angles, including the grassy knoll. In the 1970s, a government-sponsored investigation called the House Select Committee on Assassinations analyzed acoustic evidence, including police radio recordings, and concluded that there was a high probability of a second gunman on the grassy knoll. Critics of the single gunman theory argue that the physical evidence, such as the impact of the bullets and the damage to Kennedy's body, 
suggests a more complex scenario involving multiple shooters. The Mary Ann Moorman photo, often simply referred to as the Moorman photo, is one of the most famous and significant visual records of the Kennedy assassination. Mary Ann Moorman captured this photograph while she was present in Daly Plaza in Dallas, Texas on November 22, 1963, during President John F. Kennedy's motorcade. Mary Ann Moorman took the photograph just moments before the assassination occurred. In the image, you can see President Kennedy and First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy in the motorcade, along with Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife Nellie Connolly. The photo was taken from a unique vantage point. Moorman was standing on the south side of Elm Street, opposite the Texas School Book Depository, where Lee Harvey Oswald is believed to have fired the shots. Her perspective provides a valuable view of the motorcade's position and the scene during the critical moments, including the grassy knoll. The Moorman photo captured the motorcade at the precise moment when the fatal shot struck President Kennedy. Kennedy can be seen slumping forward as he was hit by a bullet. This visual documentation became crucial for investigators and researchers in reconstructing the events of the assassination. The Moorman photo quickly became a widely recognized image, appearing in newspapers, magazines, and various reports on the Kennedy assassination. It remains one of the most iconic images associated with the tragic event. Did you name the Umbrella Man? Yes. You can see him in the certain frames from the Zapruder film, standing right there by the Stemmons three-way sign. There are other still photographs taken from other locations in Dealey Plaza, which show the whole man standing under an open black umbrella. The only person under any umbrella in all of Dallas, standing right at the location where all the shots come into the limousine. Can anyone come up with a non-sinister explanation? The Umbrella Man theory is one of the more peculiar and intriguing aspects of the JFK assassination conspiracy theories. It centers around the presence of a man holding an open black umbrella on a clear and sunny day in Daly Plaza at the time of the assassination. This mysterious figure has fueled speculation and suspicion among conspiracy theorists. The Umbrella Man, later identified as Louis Stephen Witt, was seen standing near the corner of Elm and Houston Streets, where the Kennedy motorcade passed. Witt held an open umbrella despite the absence of rain, which struck many observers as unusual. Some conspiracy theorists have suggested that the open umbrella was a signal to other conspirators involved in the assassination. They propose that the umbrella's presence may have signaled the timing for the shots fired at Kennedy. Several witnesses reported that the umbrella man raised and lowered the umbrella as the motorcade approached. This led to speculation that the umbrella's actions might have been a signal to other conspirators. Some theorists claim that the umbrella man had ties to the CIA or other intelligence agencies. This has led to speculations that the umbrella was a covert communications device used in the assassination plot. Now, Louis Stephen Witt, who was identified and located decades after the assassination, 
claimed that he used the umbrella as a form of protest against JFK's father, Joseph P. Kennedy, who had been an ambassador to Great Britain during World War II. Witt explained that the umbrella was a reference to the appeasement policies of British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, who was often depicted with an umbrella. The Warren Commission investigated the umbrella man and concluded that Witt's explanation was plausible, considering the era's political climate and the historical context of Chamberlain's umbrella. Beverly Oliver is a woman who became known for her claims that she was the babushka lady in the JFK assassination. The babushka lady is a mysterious figure seen in photographs and films of the Kennedy assassination who was wearing a headscarf resembling those worn by Eastern European or Russian grandmothers, also known as babushkas. She was standing near the grassy knoll at the time of the shooting and her identity and actions have remained a subject of fascination and intrigue for researchers and conspiracy theorists. Beverly Oliver came forward in the 1970s claiming to be the babushka lady. She stated she was filming the events of the Kennedy assassination on her 8mm camera and that she had photographic evidence of the conspiracy. Beverly Oliver's claims have been met with skepticism and criticism over the years. Her story has undergone scrutiny and her identity as the Babushka Lady remains unverified. Researchers have pointed out inconsistencies in her accounts and have questioned the authenticity of her alleged photographs and films. One of the most significant claims made by Beverly Oliver is that she filmed the JFK assassination with a Super 8mm camera. She has stated that she was a bystander at Daly Plaza on November 22, 1963 and that she captured the events on film. According to Oliver, after the shooting, two men in suits confiscated her camera and exposed the film. She has suggested that these men were government agents who wanted to suppress the footage. Beverly Oliver has not been able to produce any concrete evidence to support her claims. She has not provided any documentation, photographs, or the alleged film she claims to have taken. Over the years, Oliver's story has evolved, and she has given inconsistent accounts of her experiences on that day. This has raised questions about the credibility of her claims. Beverly Oliver has also been involved in various commercial ventures, including books and documentaries, which have raised concerns about her motivations and the potential for financial gain. I didn't shoot anybody, sir. I haven't been told what I'm here for. Do you have a lawyer? No, sir, I don't. I like some legal representation. These police officers have not allowed me to, to have any. I, uh, I don't know what this is all about. You the president? No, sir, I didn't. People keep asking me that. Sir? You shoot the president? I work in that building. Were you in the building at the time? Naturally, if I work in that building, yes, sir. Back up, man! No, they're taking me in because of the fact that I lived in the Soviet Union. I'm just a patsy. The assassination of President John F. Kennedy has given rise to numerous conspiracy theories, 
some of which revolve around Lee Harvey Oswald, the man officially charged with assassinating Kennedy. While the official account, as presented by the Warren Commission, concluded that Oswald acted alone, there are several conspiracy theories related to Oswald's involvement. Lee Harvey Oswald was born on October 18, 1939 in New Orleans, Louisiana. His childhood was marked by instability and frequent moves. His father died before he was born, and his mother, Margaret, struggled to provide a stable home. In 1956, at the age of 17, Oswald joined the United States Marine Corps and served for several years, during which he received weapons training and stationed at various military bases, including a deployment to Japan. In 1959, Oswald defected to Russia, where he expressed his desire to renounce his U.S. citizenship. He lived in the Soviet Union for about three years, during which he married a Russian woman named Marina Prusakova. In 1962, Oswald returned to the United States with his wife and daughter. He settled in Dallas, Texas, where he took on various jobs, including working at the Texas School Book Depository. On November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. Oswald was arrested later that day for the murder of Officer J.D. Tippett, and he was subsequently charged with the assassination of President Kennedy. The conspiracy theories surrounding Lee Harvey Oswald and the speed at which he allegedly fired multiple shots during the assassination of President John F. Kennedy are an important aspect of the broader discussion on the JFK assassination. Many of these theories suggest that Oswald may have had help or there was more to the story than the official account. The official account, as presented by the Warren Commission, relies on a single bullet theory. According to this theory, Oswald acted alone and fired three shots from the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. One of these shots missed. One struck President Kennedy in the upper back and exited through his throat. And the third shot struck Texas Governor John Connolly. Critics of the official account argue that Oswald, who was using a bolt-action rifle, could not have fired three shots in such rapid succession, especially with the required rebolting and aiming between each shot. They contend that the alleged speed of the shots suggests the possibility of multiple gunmen. In the 1970s, a controversial analysis of acoustic evidence was conducted, suggesting that there might have been a fourth shot fired from the grassy knoll. However, this theory has been disputed and subsequent studies have not conclusively supported it. Even within the framework of the official account, there is ongoing debate about Oswald's motivation. While some believe he was ideologically motivated or acted out of a personal vendetta, others contend that his actions were influenced by external forces. Some conspiracy theories also connect Jack Ruby, who fatally shot Lee Harvey Oswald while he was in police custody to a broader conspiracy. These theories suggest that Ruby may have silenced Oswald to prevent him from revealing information or connections to other individuals or groups. It began with the fatal shooting of Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin of John Kennedy, by Jack Ruby, a Dallas nightclub owner, in the basement of Dallas police headquarters. Here's how it looked and sounded on live nationwide television. The voice is that of NBC reporter Tom Pettit. There is Lee Oswald. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's the man with a gun. It's absolute panic. 
absolute panic here in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters. Detectives have their guns drawn. Oswald has been shot. There is no question about it. Oswald has been shot. Jack Ruby had a somewhat troubled and colorful past. He served in the U.S. Army during World War II and was honorably discharged. After the war, he moved to Dallas, Texas, where he worked in various jobs, including the nightclub business. On November 24, 1963, just two days after President Kennedy's assassination, Jack Ruby shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald, who was in police custody at the Dallas Police Department's headquarters. The shooting occurred in the basement of the police station as Oswald was being transferred to another jail. Ruby claimed that he shot Oswald out of anger and a sense of patriotism, as he wanted to spare Jacqueline Kennedy the pain of having to attend Oswald's trial. However, there have been a persistent conspiracy theory suggesting that Ruby had ulterior motives, potentially related to his connections with organized crime or a desire to prevent Oswald from revealing any possible co-conspirators. Jack Ruby was arrested immediately after the shooting. He was charged with the murder and later convicted. He received a death penalty in March 1964. Ruby's conviction was appealed, and in October 1966, he was granted a new trial. However, before the new trial could take place, he died of pulmonary embolism on January 3, 1967, while still in custody. Ruby's actions added a layer of complexity to the already controversial JFK assassination. Some have questioned whether he acted alone or on behalf of a larger conspiracy, although official investigations have not found conclusive evidence to support such claims. Jack Ruby's shooting of Lee Harvey Oswald remains a significant and controversial moment in the history of the JFK assassination. His motivations and connections, as well as the implications of his actions, continue to be subjects of debate and speculation among researchers and conspiracy theorists. The magic bullet theory is a term often used to describe one of the key elements of the official account of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It is a theory put forward by the Warren Commission, the official investigative body tasked with examining the assassination, to explain the trajectory of the bullets and the wounds sustained by both President Kennedy and Texas Governor John Connolly during the shooting in Dallas on November 22, 1963. The theory posits that a single bullet, often referred to as Commission Exhibit 399 or the Single Bullet Theory, was responsible for causing multiple wounds to both President Kennedy and Governor Connolly. According to the theory, the bullet was fired from the sixth floor window of the Texas School Book Depository by Lee Harvey Oswald. The first impact of the bullet is said to have occurred when it struck President Kennedy in the upper back, just below his neck. The bullet then exited through his throat. This trajectory was proposed to explain the small entry wound in Kennedy's back and the larger exit wound in his throat. After exiting President Kennedy's throat, the bullet continued on its trajectory and entered Governor John Connolly's back, just below his right armpit. It then passed through his chest, shattered a rib, and exited through his right nipple. The single bullet was argued to be responsible for these multiple wounds. 
The bullet's path didn't end with its exit from Governor Connolly's body. It continued to travel and struck Connolly's wrist before landing on his thigh. The bullet was found later at Parkland Memorial Hospital when Connolly was being treated for his injuries. The magic bullet theory is a crucial element of the Warren Commission's conclusion that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in the assassination of President Kennedy. It was used to support the argument that all the shots that hit Kennedy and Connolly came from the same weapon that was found in the Texas School Book Depository. Now, one of the most significant criticisms is the condition of the alleged magic bullet. Critics argue that the bullet appears to be nearly pristine despite its purported journey through two individuals. They contend that the bullet should have shown more deformation and damage. Critics also raise concerns about the lack of damage to Kennedy's clothing in the back and the apparent lack of significant injury at the exit point of the bullet. They argue that the bullet's path seems inconsistent with the observed physical evidence. Some critics question the angles and entry points of the bullet, suggesting that the trajectory is highly improbable and would have required unusual deflections within the bodies of Kennedy and Connolly. Critics of the magic bullet theory argue that it is highly implausible due to the angles and trajectory involved. They contend that the single bullet explanation does not account for the extent of damage and deflection necessary to match the wounds sustained by Kennedy and Connolly. These critics often suggest that there must have been multiple shooters or a conspiracy involved in the assassination. While the theory is a fundamental part of the official account, many researchers, experts, and conspiracy theorists find it problematic and unlikely, arguing that the physical evidence and the path of the bullet are not consistent with the proposed trajectory. As we conclude this episode of Conspiracy Chronicles Unveiling the Truth, we've delved deep into the intricate web of theories and speculations surrounding the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. From the enigmatic magic bullet theory to the enduring questions about Lee Harvey Oswald's motives, the JFK assassination remains one of the most enduring mysteries in American history. While the official account maintains that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, the enduring intrigue and skepticism persist. The allure of conspiracy theories, the questions surrounding the grassy knoll, and the doubts that continue to haunt the American consciousness remind us that the quest for the truth is never-ending. But as we explore these mysteries and revisit the past, we should remember the human tragedy at the heart of it all. A beloved president was lost, and a nation mourned. Our pursuit of truth should always be guided by respect for history and an understanding of the lives forever changed by that November day in Dallas. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Your support and curiosity drive us to continue unraveling the secrets of our world. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help us keep uncovering the mysteries that lie beneath the surface. Until next time, my fellow truth seekers, stay curious stay informed, and most of all, stay connected. This has been Conspiracy Chronicles Unveiling the Truth with your host, Gurkham Yuxat.